0: Well, my name is Barbara, um, in case you missed that. And um, when the board invited me to come out and preach, I asked how long I had to give the sermon. Um, I wanted to try to stay within the timeline as best I could. So I'm going to try to honor that, but I'll probably talk a little bit more than you're used to just because I want to take some time to introduce myself and my family. Um, But if I go too long, feel free somebody to grab a shepherd's hook and kind of pull me off stage if we need to. So um, to get started this morning, I just want to talk about our family. So there should be a picture of us coming up shortly here. Um, There's all of us, that's on the side there is Jake, that's my husband. Um, If you haven't met him yet, he is an avid CrossFit athlete. He is also an ordained elder in the Church of the Nazarene. He's an Enneagram Seven, if that means anything to you. Um, And he's a coffee aficionado. We've been married for almost seven years. Um, Amelia, Mia, is our four-year-old. She's kind of sandwiched in the middle there in that picture. She might pretend to be shy when you meet her at first, kind of for the drama factor. She's all about that as a four-year-old. But she loves to meet new people and make new friends. She's currently really into dance and soccer and gymnastics, and purple is her favorite color. Eliana is our newest addition. She just turned um, six months old. Her favorites include rolling over, (laughs) giggling with her sister, and chewing on pretty much anything and everything. Uh, and then there's me. I really enjoy reading as does Jake. I also um, do CrossFit with him uh, I love to share a cup of coffee and conversation with a friend and for several years I have actually been working as an ICU nurse and I've kind of been living both in church world and in the medical world um, And that's a long story for another time But the punchline is it's all been about exploring What does God's call look like when it's lived out in my life? Um, the other member of the family that I cannot forget is our cat, Olaf. Um, <laughs> Jake and I have had him just as long as we've been married pretty much, and yeah, as you can see, he, he kind of runs the house. Um, our family, we love to be in the outdoors. We seek deep community. We really value our time together. We laugh a lot. We just love, we love to have fun. We have dance parties. We giggle a lot, and we just, we love to have fun. Um, as a nurse, though, working in that field, I've had to learn to get really good at being in school. So I got my undergraduate degree from Olivet Nazarene University. I got a Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. And that degree takes about 63 credit hours of study. There's weekly tests. There's also um, semesterly math tests that you have to get a 100% on in order to continue with the program. I'm still in therapy dealing with some of the repercussions of that, but um, yeah. And then nursing school culminates in an NCLEX licensing exam. It's like a board exam for doctors, but the nursing version of that. Um, and so I went through all of nursing school and had to pass that test in order to become a nurse. And then I thought, okay, good, I'm done with testing. I've passed school, I passed my boards. I'm a nurse, yay, no more tests. But then I realized that every time you get hired to a new hospital, a new facility, there are more tests. There's competency exams, um, there's hands-on tests of your skills to make sure that you're competent to care for people, which is a good thing, don't get me wrong. But I realized that testing is something that I couldn't get away from in life. And in general, we as humans, we struggle when we are tested. I had a, a very close friend, actually she was one of my roommates in nursing school, who studied more than anybody else in our class. She would study anytime she wasn't in class pretty much from the time class ended till she went to sleep, she was studying. She would even laminate some of her notes so that she could take them into the hot tub that Olivet had and study while we were in the hot tub. Um, And yes, Olivet has a hot tub, so I guess that's a plug plug for that. Um, Not that we can compete with Point Loma, but anyway. Um, There's actually recently a cross-sectional study that was done that was performed by a department of psychiatry that revealed that 25 to 40% of US students suffer from test anxiety. And my friend was one of those. No matter how much she studied, she would get to the exam and sit down and she would just, all of the information she studied would leave her head and she would panic. And I would, you know, I studied a lot but not as much as she did and I would sit down and maybe be done with the exam in 35 or 40 minutes. She would take every minute of time right up until class was over and still would really not get the grades that she should've correlating with how much she studied because this anxiety was so crippling. This study found that currently 10 to 35% of college students experience functionally impairing levels of testing anxiety. But it goes even deeper than that, where test anxiety can drastically hinder an individual's ability to perform well and negatively affects their social, emotional, and behavior development, their feelings about themselves, and school. And in the higher levels, like college, This was crazy to me. Adverse exam stress can also result in metabolic syndrome disorders, hypertension, and even infertility. So I think it's safe to say that we, as as humans, we don't necessarily deal well with being tested. And thankfully, most of us, we move past schooling at some point, right? We graduate, we get into the workforce, we settle into our, our lives, and we're not in school. But what about in the rest of life? So I was thinking through some things that we think of as tests. Maybe that's a season of financial hardship in your home or family. Or seasons of loneliness. Not that we've been through loneliness at all recently. COVID, anybody? Mm -hmm. Seasons of illness with new diagnoses in, in ourselves or in family members are tests. Losing a loved one is certainly a test. And changes in life. And some of these are good things too, right? Like going to college or your kids going to college. Um, aging parents, marriage, that's a good change, but still a test and can be stressful, Um, looking for a new job, moving, all of these things are tests that we experience in life. And sometimes these tests can really cause us to even question our safety, our purpose, our faith, and sometimes our very identity. Today we're gonna dig into one of the examples that Jesus left us as he was tested and look at his solution to some common tests that we face. So if you would, would you stand for me as we read God's word together? We're gonna be reading out of Luke 4, verses one through 13. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing at all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the son of God, jump off, for the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the opportunity came. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. So some context for this passage, this comes as Jesus is preparing to enter his ministry on earth. And for his first 30 years as Jesus on this planet, he hadn't really done any ministry per se. And this passage comes immediately after his time that he spent at the Jordan River with John the Baptist where Jesus was just baptized and the spirit proclaims over him in a verse that we read about in Luke chapter three. And it says, Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens opened up and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. So as Jesus gets ready to enter this time in the desert, the season of testing, he has been filled with the Holy Spirit and he has just been blessed and sent out into his ministry. His spiritual tank was full, full of the Holy Spirit. But my first question when I read this was, okay, well, why is Jesus being tested? I mean, he's God's son, right? So doesn't it seem like he would just automatically pass? Whatever test gets thrown his way, he gets an automatic pass. Well, maybe, but I think that this test was a test of his faithfulness to the Father and a test of his faithfulness to his mission here on this earth. Will he, when tested by the adversary, remain faithful to the call that God has placed on his life. I think this test was also necessary because of the incarnation. Because Jesus was both fully God and fully human, he had to go through this test because he became human in every way. We sometimes like to to kind of glorify the incarnation, right? Kind of glossing over how deeply human Jesus was. But when he became fully human, he became fully human in every way. He became fully human and said yes to sweating and chafing and hitting his pinky toe on the table leg and mosquito bites. And he said yes to every broken and beautiful part of humanity, including the testing that we face. So that brings us to test one, where the devil tempts him, turn these stones into bread. And at first glance, you probably don't see what's so bad about this. The test here is to fill a practical need. After all, Jesus was hungry. He had just been in the desert for 40 days eating nothing surviving on nothing enduring the hot sun enduring the cold of the desert and turning these stones to bread would be filling a need but it wouldn't be relying on the spirit i i kind of understand where jesus's head might have been in this place um, something you probably should know about me is that i'm really prone to getting hangry <laughs> so i've learned that i need to keep snacks with me at all times Um, because it's inevitable that that hunger is gonna strike when I'm out with my girls and then they start to get a little bit cranky and it's at that point where I really need all of the patience that I have in my pocket, but then I start to get hungry. So I have to pack snacks to, to feed myself so that my patient loving mom self doesn't turn into a cranky hangry mom self and Jake is clued into this as well. But so I, feel, <laughs> so I feel like maybe that's where Jesus found himself in this space. He was hungry, he hadn't eaten for 40 days. But in turning these stones into bread, he would have been relying on his, himself, not the spirit or God's plan. I like this quote that says, the evil here is dangerous, not because it's supernatural. So the evil's not dangerous because the devil is tempting him here, but because it's intelligent. The temptation that the devil is suggesting actually makes sense, right? Jesus is hungry, he needs to be fed, it makes sense. This is something that's sometimes hard to spot in our own lives, but it might look like spending our time and energy energy, being anxious about when or where the things that God has already promised us are going to show up in our lives. It could be refusing to leave a stressful job because what else is going to pay the bills? Or it might mean that you make some compromises in a dating relationship you begin because who knows if God's going to bring another person or not, so I might as well just try to make this work even if it's not perfect. And see, Jesus' test had to be real. It had to be a real choice to live fully into his humanity and not above it or around it. He understood what his purpose here on earth was, and that was to bring glory to God. And he had the strength to resist this test because he was already filled by the spirit. Well, so that didn't work. So the devil brings him to test number two, where he says, worship me and I'll give you all these things. The verse specifically says, the devil took him up and revealed to him all of the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. That's important, in a moment. He said, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they're mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will just worship me. That's all you have to do. Jesus replied, the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God only and serve him. So the test Jesus is being presented with here is power and political gain and prestige. And he knew the road in front of him. Because he was fully God, he already knew what the road in front of his life would look like. He knew that he would be betrayed in the garden by some of his closest friends. He knew about the torture that he would have to endure on the cross, on his way to a death, and then the silence in the grave that waited for him until he got to his ultimate victory, until he defeated sin and death, which he also knew he would do, but he knew that he had to go through all of that suffering first. So what, what the adversary was offering here was a way out. Just do this thing, and you get to bypass all of that suffering, and I'm gonna give you all of this glory, and all of this power, and all of this political power over these these nations. And like I said, I think it's important that all of that was shown to him in an instant. See, we can be tempted to sacrifice our morals, to sacrifice what we've committed to, for personal gain when we believe that the ends justify the means, especially when it's in a quick moment of decision, right? When we don't have time to think about the repercussions of that decision. Are there any CS Lewis fans in here? (laughs) Okay, all right, a few of you, good. So that kind of reminds me of Edmund, where he sells out his family and everything just for that promise of more Turkish delight. Now I'm not knocking on that because I love a good dessert and Amelia really loves some chocolate, so I understand where that is. (laughs) But I think that we have to be careful not to sell our souls in a moment of quick decision and compromise for personal gain. But Jesus was tempted with taking the easy way out here and his only response is, worship only the Lord your God. His mind was centered in the right spot. Test three, the devil says, okay Jesus, I am brought you up to the highest point of this temple throw yourself down, and you know your angels will protect you. They're gonna scoop you up, and not even your pinky toe is gonna hit the ground. You'll be protected. By performing an impossible task, where Jesus preserved his safety, Jesus would have proved that he was the Messiah. It's important, though, that this was happening in the temple in Jerusalem. So all of the people gathered there would have been Jews, the people who were waiting for a Messiah. And by performing that act, Jesus would have shown to all of them that yes, I am the Messiah, I am here. And that would have included the Pharisees, people were some of his worst adversaries. And the devil tries another angle here, twisting scripture too, where it says that the angels will take charge over you. He twists that to try to use that against Jesus, which is of course futile against him. But the the pull here is that Jesus would have been given a triumphant entry into Jerusalem right when his ministry was beginning. So instead of having to to wait, he would have had a show of power to usher in this season of ministry here on earth. He wouldn't have had to go through um, the triumphal entry on a donkey. He wouldn't have had to endure dusty roads and smelly crowds the whole way. But he would have gained his power instantaneously among the people. But... When the Holy Spirit moves in power, that looks a little bit different than the way that we think of power in our kingdom. It looks different in God's kingdom. It looks like the children, those who are often overlooked by society, both back then and sometimes now, being ushered into the arms of their Messiah. It looks like the scum of society, the tax collectors and the prostitutes, being offered a seat next to, the ta- next to their king at the table. And it looks like the thief on a cross, who did absolutely nothing to earn it, being ushered into the presence of his Savior when he died, offered limitless grace. It looks like welcoming the stranger, washing the feet of the poor, and choosing to view others through the eyes of grace. Now the reality is that you will probably not find yourself in a desert, starved for 40 days, tested by the devil, offered the kingdoms of the world, and tempted to throw yourself off of a temple. So what I find helpful here in this passage, rather than the specifics of Jesus's successes, is that we have a savior who has stood in the places where we stand. When we try to rely on our own strength to fill our needs, and we try to take the easy way out, and we try to compromise our integrity to get ahead, Jesus has already been there. And because Jesus faced an actual, real temptation and testing, and he defeated it, as a fully human person, he defeated those temptations, so can we. If Jesus could be faithful, so can you. In his first test, Jesus faced the problem of solving practical problems his way, rather than relying on the Spirit. And a helpful book for me to unpack this passage has actually been Um, a book by a man named Peter Scazzaro. He wrote the book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And he kind of translates this passage into a context that's helpful for us in modern day. And he says that in the first test, Jesus faced the lie, I am what I do. Have you ever been tempted to believe that? (coughs) I have. That who you are is dependent on what you produce and what your accomplishments are. I'd like to combat that with scripture, the same way that Jesus did in these tests. Scripture says, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb, and I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That's it. That's where your value is, in being made by the creator. See, your value is not in a promotion that you earn and your value is not in the number of degrees you have or the number of A's that you get on tests. Your value is not in the recognition that you have in your community or even in your family. Your value comes simply from being made in the Imago Dei, in the image of our Creator. The second test, Gazzaro says that Jesus defeated the lie, I am what I have. And I don't think most of us would probably come out right and admit that we believe this, at least about material possessions but maybe we do a little bit sometimes. For you, it might not be about material possessions, but maybe it's about power. If only I had a promotion at work, then my work would matter more. People would see me, it would matter more. If only I had that relationship, if I had a girlfriend or I had a boyfriend or I could get married, then that would make me really successful in life. But you are more than the things that you have. Scripture says in Philippians 4.11, I'm not saying this, because I am in need for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Are we relying on Jesus to help us be content wherever we find ourselves? The third lie that we see is I am what others think. (laughs) This is hard for me. Hi, my name is Barbara and I am a recovering people pleaser. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if there's anyone else that struggles with that, but ever since I was little, I have wanted and gone out of my way to make other people happy around me. It goes back to even when I was tiny, my mom would want to put me in a certain dress and I would, I would do it, whether or not I wanted to wear it or not, because I just wanted to make her happy. And I've carried that desire with me into adulthood. I, just, I want to create peace, I want to please people, But sometimes that's hard if it goes against what I feel like the Lord is calling me to or what I have to do in life. Jesus had an opportunity in that third lie where the devil offered him the world. If he would just jump off the tower and get the power from all the people, he had an opportunity in this test to put on a show for Jerusalem. All of those gathered around the temple would have seen his power right there, seen that he could literally walk away from death but the price bowing to anything other than God the Father was just not an option. Galatians 1.10 says, Am I now seeking human approval or God's approval? Am I trying to please people? If I were still pleasing people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Imagine with me for a moment, a church, a body of believers, made up of people who had overcome all of these lies. I am what I do. We are more than the things we accomplish. You've probably heard this before, but we are human beings, not human doings, right? There's a reason God created the Sabbath. It's not about what we do. I am what I possess. That's just not true. The Lord has created us with gifts and good things and created passions within you that go beyond anything you could possess. I am what others think. That's a hard one. We interact with people every day whether that's online or in person and it's hard to not let the thoughts and reflections of others be internalized in us as we act out our lives but what if instead we chose to believe the truth that I that you that we are children of God made in the image of God with specific gifts and talents and passions that he has given just you no one else and we are invited in to together build the kingdom of God in community. What would that look like? How would, our, how would our homes, how would our workplaces, how would our neighborhoods be transformed if we truly believed those truths and stopped trying to chase those lies? I think it could be a really beautiful image of people using their gifts together in the ways that they were created and the things that they are passionate about to bring others closer to the truth of who Jesus is. All right, well, that's cool, but how do we do that? (laughs) That's a lot of nice words. I think Jesus laid those things out for us as he faced his temptations, right? The first thing we have to do is we have to stay filled up with the Holy Spirit. We have to pursue the Spirit in all things, um, and that looks like spending time with him, making time in your day. Maybe all you have is you're like, my day is so booked, I don't even have time to breathe. Well, okay, do you have a commute? Can you listen to scripture on your way to work? Can you take some time to pause? Even if it's in your, as you're in the bathroom, getting ready for your day, and just pray and reflect and spend time and allow yourself to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The next one connects in with this as well. Stay rooted in scripture. We have to remember that the Bible is, is God's words to us. And that is the way that often God speaks to us in this present world. So stay rooted in scripture, spend time in it, and allow it to change you. The Bible says that God's word is living and active. It's not, it's not just a dead book that we read about, but it's living and active. And if you allow it, those words will change you as you read them. And then we remember that we are not alone. The church is a beautiful thing. The body of believers is a beautiful thing, and we are in this thing together. So if you're struggling to find ways to be filled with the Spirit or to stay rooted in Scripture, there's a group of people here that you can come to and ask questions and and ask the hard questions too, not just the easy ones. But we are created to do this in community. I have different gifts than my husband has different gifts than all of you, but when we bring them together, we can create beautiful community that builds the kingdom of God, that creates space for everyone at God's table. One way that we do this, that we participate in community together, is the opportunity that we have to celebrate with the whole family of God across the world remembering the sacrifice that our Savior made. So this morning we're going we're to take communion together and I invite you that um, as, as the elements are passed, as they're handed out, we're going to have a song that plays. And as that plays, um, maybe just spend some time thinking about who is it that God has made you to be? Have you allowed those lies to fill your life? And how can you let go of those and lean in to what the Spirit is calling you to?